Welcome to the Founder Scale Sales Leadership Podcast, where we help business founders and sales leaders understand and overcome the challenges of building high-performing sales teams. Taylor, how's it going? Good, Josh. I'm excited to be here. I love this topic. <laughs> what topic is that? That is the benefits of selling to the ideal customer. And there is a term out there, Josh, and it's called the ICP. Do you know what that stands for by chance? <laughs> ideal customer profile? Hey, you nailed it. <laughs> Must have done his homework. So the ideal customer profile. Now, what is the ideal customer profile? So so I'm going to answer my own question at first, and then I'd love to hear your definition of this. But my, in my mind, it's, it's kind of like what Seth Godin says when he talks about your minimal viable audience, right? You don't necessarily want to have this thing or this product or service that's going to be kind of good for everybody. You want to have this amazing, unique awesome product or service that's going to be fit for a specific marketplace. So the ideal customer profile typically fits within a marketplace. It could be company size. It could be global coverage. It could be a lot of different things, but it's going, it's designed to where if you have a conversation and you have a, if you have a fish on the hook, that's going to probably become a client quicker and it's going to close a sale quicker than it would for just somebody else that might not be in your ICP? What say you? Yeah, so I love the ICP. Um, everybody knows the term ideal customer profile. Um, we actually are big fans. I, I call it the RCP. It's real customer profile. Uh, so yeah. what I find in the ideal customer profile is sometimes it's like a marketing exercise. Like who do I think I want? What are all these factors? They put names mm -hmm. to people and everything. And it's really cool. And I and definitely need to do that exercise. So I don't want to discount that. But the real customer profile is where you go one step deeper in analyzing all of the factors of, of your last 50 or 100 clients. And you can really look at where the data points you. Mm. Uh, so some companies we go into and we'll say, who's your client? Oh, well, how many inter you know, do you sell to the enterprise? Oh, yeah, yeah, we sell to the enterprise. Well, then we look at their real customer list and they've never really sold an enterprise deal. Right. right? They right. wouldn't know the difference in the sales cycle of enterprise and all the hoops you have to jump through yep. versus a mid-market deal or whatever it might be. So yeah. I like to use the real data in order to huh. hone the ICP. And that takes, you know, some data analysis. We augment it all we augment the list and titles and locations, geography, um, lots of I other like information. That. And like what I what I envision it as with the ICP is since we use account-based marketing methodologies, I look at it as kind of like a dartboard. Like the people in the – you have the center, right? The bullseye. Mm -hmm. That's your perfect client. Yeah. So you know the ideal perfect client where if you land that client – everything works, right? And then there's a second ring where those are really, really good clients. And you want to spend time marketing to those, but you want to spend more time marketing to your bullseyes. And then there's like this outer ring where, you know, they're pretty good. You'll take them. Maybe it's a little more risk. And then there's, there's off the dartboard. And what I find is a lot of people are throwing darts with a blindfold, right? Mm -hmm. They don't know what that bullseye is and, and they yeah. make up lots of reasons why the, the one client off the dartboard was really the, a good client. Right. And th there's all kinds of impacts. And that's why we're going to sell. We're going to talk about the four benefits of selling to the ideal customer. Uh, but right after we get into the criteria. So what are some criteria that goes on this ICP, this ideal client profile or customer profile? What are some of the criteria you look at? 
Yeah. So when I look at, you know, and I really like what you said about the RCP because, you know, it's one thing to have this, this, this goal of selling to the biggest corporate enterprise organizations out there. Then there's the real possibility of selling to a customer <laughs> right. that you're going to, that you're going to actually close. So whatever that is, um, whether, whether we talk about RCP or ICP, when I look at the different types of criteria, I immediately look at things like the amount of employees that organization has, the amount of annual revenue they recognize, if they are public or privately held, if they are, you know, uh, where are they located? Is it, is it a regional company? Is it a global company? What are the different criterias that I can look at within an organization that I have an excellent answer for? So the criteria that you should be listening at, that you should be looking for, Mister Mister Customer, Mister Listener here, is uh, whatever whatever thing that you whatever you have like a value add that is pretty unique. Well, what what is that? What does that translate into uh, that a customer of a quality of a customer? So, just as an example, if we are located all over the world, and I am trying to deal with a customer that is only active in the Southeast during the United States, okay. Well, not to say there's no synergy whatsoever, but. I have got much more competition in that little pocket where I have less competition being a massive global organization because those are problems that I can solve that other little regional players cannot. So I think a lot of it, Josh, comes down to, you know, your ideal customer profile is going to have criteria such as size, you know, uh, locations and whatnot. But but you, you got to almost take it a step further to kind of fit your value props, your unique value props into that criteria to make sure that you're going after someone that's going to say, wow, you're exactly who I've been looking for. Yeah. And that's really the experience we're looking for is I want them to go to our website and read and go, wow, they get me. They know yep. me. They know mm-hmm. my problem. They know my challenge. So like when we look at our ideal customer profile, we have A's, B's, C's, and F's, right? And like I said, A is that bullseye. Like this is the perfect sweet spot for us. B's are really good clients. C's are okay clients. F mm-hmm. is don't go there, right? And so we've we've outlined that and, and we reiterate it over and over with our team, our marketing team. And, and I'll share what our A client is to give you an idea of how detailed that criteria is. And then we'll talk about the benefits and why, why we're so detailed. And there's lots mm-hmm. of impact to this, but... For one, you know, our company's founder scale. So our target audience is the founder of companies, right? You have to be the founder. Okay. Okay. So, and we'll talk about the benefits later. So I'll skip that. We want B2B companies. So they have to be B2B. We focus 100% on B2B because B2C techniques are great. But if you don't know about sales cycles and and the length of time to close and and all the impacts of being B2B versus B2C, it's a fundamentally different process in selling. We want people in Georgia. So our A clients are all in the state of Georgia because we are hyper-local. We can go drive. We can meet with them. We can break bread. We can see them at events. Like We can really Mm -hmm. build a real relationship. Um, a clients use HubSpot. We're a HubSpot partner. So it, that's an a. a lot of our tool set repeatabilities around that. Uh, yep, we prefer yep. services businesses. Zero to 10 salespeople is, is our sweet spot. One huh. to 10 million in revenue. Uh, industries, tech, finance, and construction. And then employees, two to 50. So like when we look at our yeah. A's, we have a list in HubSpot of A's. And they match all of that criteria, which means every ounce of our process and how we market and how we deliver speaks perfectly to that pe- that group. Now, 
Now we expand that out to bees and, and only two things change for bees as we expand our geography to the Southeast and mm-hmm. we expand the, the CRM capability to, it can be any CRM. Okay. So, okay. you know, because so much is built up around, you know, providing value to HubSpot clients, we can do just almost as much for a Salesforce client, but it's not perfect. Right. I see. So, I yeah. See. So we have very detailed criteria and we're going to talk about some of the benefits of that criteria in the next phase. I, I, I think that's really, really smart. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you've got non-wavering criteria that meets the bullseye. And then you've got a couple of different outliers, such as in that example, just a little more of a broad location, a broad, a broad regional coverage that gives you to your, I still want to do business with you, even though you're a B and potentially a C. But if I'm hearing you correctly, that means that you don't focus on anything above an F for in, in the example for right. you. And now you know what is potentially a waste of time, if I'm hearing you correctly, and you don't spend the efforts in order to, to, to go and, and waste time. Exactly. So like we know we are not an international business. We don't do business outside the U.S. It's a yep. no-go, waste of time, causes all kinds of challenges for us, different laws, you know, just all kinds of things, right? So we know that, you know, in our F category is outside the U.S., Mm. Okay. An A is in Georgia, a B is in the Southeast or even, and, and a C would be Southeast uh, or B would be Southeast and East coast because we can get there quickly. They're in our time zone. Again, a lot of benefits from a delivery perspective. Um, You know, a C is going to be anywhere in the U S so that doesn't mean, and I want to just clarify because we work with so many clients on this, that the first thing they go is, well, I don't want to turn those people away. And and what I'm talking about is outbound, right? Outbound sure. or yeah, marketing yeah, yeah. dollars spent. Like yep. if they're coming to you and they're a C, they're still a good client, right? From yep. And this is a C from a criteria perspective, right? Yep. They could end up being yep. your best client. Um, if they come to you, we take it, right? If it's inbound and they're an A, B, or C, take it. If they're an F, don't take it inbound. That is, that mm. is our rule. Um, but from an outbound perspective, where do your marketing dollars go? Where do your sales reps start in the order of priority? They're going to hit all the A's before they then hit all the B's before Mm -hmm. they then hit all the C's. So it's a matter of focus and budget and time and opportunity cost all pulled together. Definitely not saying if somebody's a C not to take them inbound as a lead. No, fully, fully understand that. And it's good that you clarified it. But what I just love about like how granular you got with those details around the A's is that limits your potential time wasting so well. So, so, I mean, that means that yeah, I get it. All your prospecting, your marketing dollars are focusing on where you're going to make the most impact in that minimal viable audience of that client A. And we're the exact same way. Our criteria is more around, you know, multi-location, you know, limited IT staff and whatnot. And I'm speaking from a Centrix point of view where they don't have field technicians all over the world and not much of a management practice and getting things installed and up and running and implemented and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, there is a load and load of different criteria out there, uh, you know, and, but for the most part, they've they've got to have all those different pieces of criteria and they've got to be in the channel as a massive CRN reseller in order for us to really identify them as a perfect or near perfect client. And what what gets me excited is the benefits of looking (laughs) at and, 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 you know, the things like that. So when I think about the benefits, the, the the first thing that comes to mind immediately is you have limited the competition if you've identified your ideal 
customer profile. You have said, okay, I am, you know, there, there's, there's sure there might be some more companies like me, but in this regard for this customer, if they are thinking exactly the way that you, that you want them to think when they look at your website, you have immediately limited the competition. You haven't eliminated it, but you've limited it, which gets you a whole lot closer to the damn sale. So that's why we're here, right? So oh, yeah. I just think, I mean, <laughs> some of those benefits, I mean, that they're just, just to name one, limiting the competition, I think is uh, the first one that comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, you definitely limit the competition. We we feel like we limit the competition because if we are talking to an A client, um, even a B or C client, a lot of times we stand out above the competitor. The competitor may do 10 other things. They may serve 10 other markets, right? Like I honed in on that B2B piece earlier. You know, the other, the other competitor may, when you actually look at all the logos on their website, be 70% B2C. And they're like, no, 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 no. It'll work mm-hmm. for you. Uh, well, will it, will it really work for them? They yeah. don't know, right? And so there's a little bit, you know, on the salesperson's technique side of sowing a little bit of doubt in the competitor too, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it looks... Doesn't really look like they focus on B2B. Are you sure that's going to work? You know, Um, whereas if we're really hyper focused, then we do limit the competition. We limit what that competition can do or we make them work a little bit harder to beat us out on a deal. Yeah, makes it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think just kind of segueing into that, I feel like that speeds things up. I feel like in terms of prospecting to quoting to proposing to closing, if you're dealing with somebody that fits in your ICP or your RCP, you're going to probably increase that the, the the cycle, the speed of that sale dramatically as if you were talking to somebody that doesn't really find a similar value. Yeah, I definitely think it, it speeds up the closing um, for anybody who knows that because you're able to right out of the gate speak their language. You're able to speak to their challenges. Uh-huh. Um, they identify with you more quickly. Like I'm a founder. I've started and grown and sold a multi-million dollar business. Um, I get it, right? And so when I talk to other founders or when people, salespeople on our team talk to other founders, they've been brought up to speed on what words have meaning. What Mm. words identify with this group? And because I don't have to try and sell to the sales manager and the HR person and, you know, these five different people, I don't I don't have to know all of that. Right. I can speak their language. I can really hit them uh, right in the heart, you know, something close to their heart. And um, it's going to close that deal much faster uh, because all of our processes are built around that. I don't have to deviate as a salesperson and branch off 50 different ways to manage all the nuance because we work with so many different types of clients, which makes it really difficult as a salesperson. Right. And, and not to mention, what, what level of confidence is your salesperson going to have b- just because of what you just said? The repeatability around, you know, what you say, how you act, the milestones of what they get throughout the process, the touch points. And then obviously when you hand it over to delivery, the repeatability around how they're going to deliver that product or service over and over again is something that's just going to I mean, there's, there's, there's no better, there's no better, you know, answer besides repeat, repeatability of process, right? That's why you build the process so that you can repeat it over and over again and have this massive, incredible quality outcome each time. So I, I think you nailed it. And, and I think the repeatability from a sales and from a delivery point of view just makes it that much better to work with those people that fit in your profile. Yeah. And there was a really good book, uh, Built to Sell. 
which mm. is, you know, as a services business. And then they, they hone the, the client profile down. They hone the services down of what they offered. And all of a sudden they went off like a rocket and had a higher valuation and all kinds of, all kinds of things came, uh, to fruition because they narrowed down what they were doing and who they were selling yeah. to. And it's because of that repeatability that you, you spoke to, right? If I, if in a sales cycle, I sell to every size client, and you know anybody's my client well the repeatability of how we do msas and scopes of word yeah. in the legal phase is different every single time like yeah. i've sold to you know billion dollar companies myself and i've sold to companies that had three people just yep. the legal piece alone is all over the place. But yes, if you say, I only sell to this group and this is what we can do and this is what we can't and this is what they usually ask for, you know, and these are the three clauses that they usually have an issue with based on the size. Mm. Like you just skip all kinds of issues and make it more repeatable. And as you said, you know, speed of close, you change the speed yep. of close. Simple, uh, general word here, it becomes easier all around. It becomes easier to talk about. It becomes easier to sell, quicker to sell easier to delivery. It just seems significantly less hard to vet and say, am I going to do this? Well, am I not going to do this? Well, can we deliver over here? Can we not deliver over there? And all those different nuances that you typically go in when you're talking about a three person organization or a multi-billion dollar organization that you just talked about, if you can hone in on the size and the, and the, and the, you know, uh, whatever else, you know, your criteria is going to go into, it just becomes significantly easier from start to finish. Just one of the many benefits of finding that ICP. Yeah. And one of the things I found too, is if you are able to really narrow down that ICP and actually stick to it. Um, there, there's a situation where do you want the question for you and whether you should do this is, do you want to lead the client or do you want the client to lead you? Mm. Right. And if you have an ICP and you stick to it, you are then the leader, right? You're right, leading right. the sales process and you know, what's going to happen next and you can make recommendations. Well, here's our sales process. Here's what's next. Here's what I need from you. Here's how this always looks right yep. now. If you don't have an ICP, then what you get is the customers leading you. The customers now dictating the rules. Well, now you have to sign this or here's how we do legal or, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. it just makes it seem like there's a lot of different ways that the deal can Tail be closed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So do you want, you know, do you want to lead the client through sales or do you want the client to lead you? And I can tell you if, if you, uh, if you want them to lead you, you're going to be jumping through hoops. And, and if you feel like you're already jumping through lots of hoops to close a deal and, and have your hair on fire to go find documents and everything, then, then that's what's happening. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't agree more. And, and I like the way that you put that, you know, you have to be in this example, kind of to steal something from Donald Miller here, you have to be the guide that, that, that helps your customer get from point A to point B. And at the last time that I hired a guy to do anything, I wasn't coaching him. He was coaching me. Right. You know? <laughs> and that's one of those things where throughout this process, you as the subject matter expert in your field, you as the the vendor or, or whatever business that you're in, the provider, you need to be able to guide them and lead them in the best possible way of buying or doing or installing or whatever you do for a living. That's your job to lead them. And the minute that switches, Lord help us all. I mean, that is a really tough thing to recover from. Because you have, you've probably gone down a rabbit hole and wasted a lot of time. And then when it comes down to you getting a purchase order, you look at it and you say, 
I don't even know if I can do this. And, <laughs> right. and you have really, really gotten yourself in a tough spot. So I agree. Finding that ideal customer profile gives you also the ability to act as you, as you should be acting, which is the guide, which is making the customer the hero, which is making you know the things repeatable and just easier. And and that level of 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 detail that you that you put into finding out who your ideal customer is, I mean, gosh, that just pays dividends for years and years. And then at the end of the day, of course, I mean, if you end up being known as the best person that are the best organization that provides X, that is most likely because you have nailed your ideal customer profile and create a sound, repeatable, extremely high quality product or service that people just love and and, and talk about and care about and this and that. And, uh, and, and, that, that, and that's how you become a very valuable organization. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's your brand at that point, right? That's when you're actually identifying and you have a brand and you, you know who you're selling to and you know who your advocates are and, you know, if people are out there clamoring for it, you, you're starting to hone in on where you need to be. Um, yeah. If it's hard to get case studies and they're all over the place and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad and, you know, you, you don't have a lot of references, you know, that's an indicator that maybe you need to start to narrow the focus and get really good at delivering to one group. And, and again, the good thing is, is you can expand out later. You know, if you have a hundred raving fans, it's really easy to get a hundred more. If you're yeah. all over the place, your ICP, your ideal clients all over the place and you're delivering it 50 different ways for 50 different clients, it, it's hard to get that Where's flywheel going. Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. Where's your value? So, I mean, so we talked about, you know, the benefits, limiting the competition, speed of close. We talked about repeatability of how you mm -hmm. sell. And then the, the fourth one we have from a benefit perspective was less vetting. So if you have an ICP, if you have an ideal client profile, how does that end up? How does that convey over to less vetting during the sales cycle? Well, I think that comes down to just the, the whole, can I do this? You know, am I set up in order to do this or do I have the right people that can do this? If, if you've got this, this, this product or service that's completely baked from an offering point of view, and then your customer comes into that offering, well, then you've got it figured out and you're good to go. You don't have to vet this thing as much anymore and, until you obviously just want to get into the improvements. But if you have a customer that says, no, I don't just want the ice cream. I want the ice cream with sprinkles and chocolate. Oh, maybe some jalapenos on there. Maybe some red <laughs> onions. And it just starts to get gross, right? right. You're looking at this this product that, gross. that you just yeah. And then you just you know what once was an awesome product and a normal looking product has just become something that's really tough to deliver on. And at the end of the day, isn't very quality. So I just think the effort and level of like of vetting and onboarding and just you know just basically in short staying with Within the guidelines of the process that you have built uh, uh, for that customer A, B, and C with very minimal getting outside those guardrails. But even if you do that, they're manageable. It just gets really out of control and it gets extremely tough to vet if you have to, you know, recreate the wheel each time. Yeah, I like the I like the kind of visual there, right? You you want to stay in your lane, but if you stay on the road, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, and if you right. stay in between the guardrails, that that works as well. But you yeah. know, once once your car goes flying over the guardrails, you got a problem. Right. And you so. dictated that very well. I'm actually going to, you can use my words, but you got to tell a story next time. Different problems, right. You know? Um, yeah. but yeah, so I think the less vetting piece has been interesting. I know for us, because if you sell to the same people and you get good at it, 
you have the case studies, you have the testimonials, you have the references and you just send them right over, right? Like we're going to send references early in the sales cycle because if you're doing business with founder scale, I'm like, Hey, I got another, I got a founder that, uh, if you want a referral or run a reference, here's one founder. And then, you know, if you're still not buying yet or ready, I might send another one. I, and I'm going to proactively send it, right? I'm going to, I'm going to open this up, this sales cycle with a case study. Here's a case study. By the way, if you want to talk to this person, I can get them on the phone, right? I'm proactively trying to get you to vet us as quickly as possible so we can close this deal. That's right. Um, And I don't have to worry about you doing more due diligence and asking for more things because, you know, really, I want to predict what what our clients want to see and get it out, uh, you know, in front of them way ahead in the sales cycle. So so to your point and and kind of a little bit in summary, what are the dangers of not having an ideal customer profile, like to be very, very clear. I think we've talked about the fact, you know, in our, in our visuals of ice creams and roads and all that, or you can fall <laughs> the roads and the mountains. But I will say that, that, I mean, outside of like the general, you know, you might not close a deal quickly. You could really lose your identity as an organization. You could lose your value. If you, if you are selling the best oranges in the world to these customers and they just love it. And all of a sudden one of these customers asks you for an apple and you do that. Well, then you're just another fruit stand, right? You have to be able to stick and stay disciplined. And, and, and sometimes I think the tough part about that is, is like you said earlier, when, if it gets to a customer E or F or G or whatever the numbers end up being, you have to be able to say no. You have to be able to say no in the best interest of, of, of working smart and, you know, all the benefits that we just talked about right there really go out the window if you don't keep it between the navigational beacons, right. <laughs> as we call. Yeah. I think we've over-metaphored them to death. <laughs> right. Give a few more. We'll, we'll get a, one more in before the end of this. Right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean, the impact is just so massive. And I think most people um, look past that. Most A lot of founders we work with look past that, you know, and what the what the – what the detrimental piece of this is, is like in the B2B services world, everything's an opportunity. So people take more opportunities than they should. And then, like you said, they don't have an identity. But what really happens is if I get a deal that's a little bit outside of my range, the sales is different. The agreement's different. Everybody has to scramble during the sales cycle to adapt to that new deal, right? That one opportunity. And then when we want to deliver it, that's when it gets even worse because now we don't know what's going to go wrong on the delivery. Even if it's you know, people try and justify it in the services. Well, that's like 80% the same as what we normally do. Well, that mm-hmm. other 20% is what's going to ruin you, right? I mean, there's there's a reason that uh, Tesla doesn't put motors in their cars, right? And and that's, yeah. I'll throw in an analogy for you because I told you I'd get one more in. But, um, <laughs> it's um It's like Tesla designing every piece of manufacturing about manufacturing this premium car. And then somebody comes in and goes, you know what? I'll pay extra to have a mo- an engine in it, a gas engine. And they're like, yeah, yeah sure. We're going to do that because I mean, 90% of it's the same. It's all a car, right? Yep. It's just yep. not yep. an electric motor and we're going to put an engine in. Now mm. for the car people out there, they know that's ridiculous, but to anybody else, they're like, oh yeah, well that's just the powertrain. Like just replace the powertrain. Right. It doesn't work yep. that way. Right. And I think when B2B services uh, leaders 
look at it that way, when sales leaders look at it that way and start to think, would I do that if I was manufacturing a product? No. Um, well, we probably shouldn't do it even though we can from a services perspective because the impacts just roll, you know, they, they just keep rolling downhill, right? And when it goes right, that's fine. But when it goes wrong, like you said, you know, you lose your identity. You lose it, man. Yeah. So I, I agree with you, Josh. And, I, and I'm glad you threw that last metaphor in there. I think that was good. I think that's, I think that's a clean five for the, uh, for, for the episode. But yeah, I mean, if you could read through those one more time, just for our listeners, what were sure. the benefits one more time of, of all those uh, of creating the ICP? Yeah. So the, the top benefits we have here are limiting the competition, harder to compete with you because you specialize. Um, there's riches in niches. Number two is right. the speed of closing. You can close the deal faster uh, because your process is around getting them through that process. It doesn't have to change. Less vetting. They just don't vet you as much. Everything on your website speaks to them. All your testimonials are people like them. They don't have to vet you near as much. And then repeatability on how you sell. It's done the same way. Uh, you know, 99% of the same way every time, um, all the way through the sales process. So it just makes it scalable and repeatable. So those are the, the top four that we listed amongst, uh, many other benefits and, um, and, uh, some cons thrown in there as well. That's right. So I see no reason why these guys and girls don't go out there and create their own individual, you know, ideal customer profile for their organizations. Um, it, it, there's nothing bad that can come from this. And, uh, and, I, and I hope that everybody's taking that very seriously to go either hone in on theirs, create more criteria around it, identify what it is, and then communicate that message to everybody that has anything to do with marketing or sales to make sure that you are focusing your efforts into the right areas that are going to give you the most bang for your buck. Yeah, I love it. There is no, there is no um, negative in going out and doing this. So That's go get right. it done. Let's go get it done. All right, Josh, I enjoyed it. And uh, I know we'll be seeing them, uh, seeing them all soon. So uh, until next time, my friend. Until next time. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Founder Scale Sales Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this content, please subscribe and give us five stars on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening platform.